Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. What's really behind the most popular ghost stories? Do they have a point that we seem to be missing? How can you tell what's true and what isn't? Hey there, and welcome to Behind the Paranormal. And it is the 85th edition of Behind the Paranormal. With Paul 185th. 185th, sorry. I'm 285th, okay. All the trick-or-treaters and all the doorbells are just making me... Yeah, right. Ugh. So I'm Ben, and answering those question, asking those questions tonight was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So in honor of Halloween today, or All Hallows' Eve... We're doing something a little different. We're going to look at some famous hauntings and see if they were real. Then look at them through our own theories of the multiverse. Let's start by looking at what's probably the most famous popular haunting of modern times, the Amityville case. Basis for the book and 1979 movie, The Amityville Horror, and at least eight other feature films. Now, I don't think I've ever encountered a case in which there is so much misinformation, extraordinary claims, and general controversy. All right, so the story begins in uh, November and the 13th. It's November the 13th, 1974, in Amityville, Long Island, New York. At 6.30 p.m., Ronald DeFore, DeFeo, uh, DeFeo, DeFeo, yeah. DeFeo Jr., known locally as Butch, came barreling through the door of a local bar shouting that someone had just got shot by his uh, someone had just shot his parents, not by his parents. <laughs> his parents uh, might have shot him. Anyway, it's uh, not funny. Pretty well freaked, uh, some men went back to the soon-to-be-famous house at <coughs> excuse me, 112 Ocean Avenue with Butch. When they got to the house and ran upstairs, they found Ronald DeFeo Sr., 43 years old, Louise DeFeo, 42, both in bed, shot to death. Bush's two younger uh, brothers and two sisters were dead in their own bedrooms nearby. Now, even though there was some evidence of a conspiracy and multiple gunmen, Butch DeFeo was arrested for the murders and, after a long trial that lasted most of 1975, was convicted. He was sentenced to 25 years to life and was the only one ever brought to trial for the crime. Now about the, uh, the haunting or the alleged haunting. In 2000, Butch DeFeo confessed that, along with his sister Dawn DeFeo, uh, he had actually committed the murders. He wrote, quote, it was cold-blooded murder, period. No ghosts, no demons, just three people of which I was one, unquote. The same month that Butch DeFeo was sentenced, December 1975, the Lutz family moved into the house. According to the book The Amityville Horror by the late Jay Anson, all kinds of paranormal hijinks occurred from day one. For example, among the many, many, many things that would happen... Uh, the house was plagued by swarms of flies, supposedly, despite the warm weather. I should say the winter weather. Uh, Kathy Lutz, the wife, had vivid nightmares about the murders and discovered the order in which they occurred and the rooms in which they took place. So the Lutz's children also began sleeping on their stomachs uh, creepily in the same way that the dead bodies and the DeFeo murders had been found. Uh, Kathy supposedly would feel a sensation as if being embraced, quote-unquote, in a loving manner by an unseen force. Uh, George Lutz uh, would wake up around 3.30 every morning and would go out to check the boathouse. Uh, later, he would learn that this was the estimated time of the DeFeo killings. Uh, boathouse, uh, th this, this is a strange kind of thin, thin piece of land 
houses up by the street, but the other end of the property uh, ends at uh, Amityville Creek, uh, Saltwater Creek, and there's a boathouse down there. So when you hear boathouse, that's what they're talking about. Uh, Kathy Lutz uh, discovered a small hidden room about four feet by five feet, uh, supposedly behind shelving in the basement. Uh, the walls were painted red, and the room did not appear in the blueprints of the house, supposedly. Uh, the room came to be known as the Red Room. Uh, this room had a profound effect on their dog, Harry, who refused to go near it and cowered as if sensing something negative. There were c- cold spots and odors of perfume and excrement in areas of the house where no wind uh, drafts or piping could explain the source. Uh, the Lutz's five-year-old daughter, Missy, and this is very interesting, uh, developed uh, supposedly an, an imaginary friend named Jody, who was a de- demonic pig with glowing red eyes. Okay? Uh, George would wake up uh, to the sound of the front door slamming. Uh, he said he would race downstairs to find the dog uh, sleeping soundly by the front door. Nobody else heard the sound, although it was loud enough to um, uh, wake everyone in the, uh, inside the house anyway. And this goes on and on, uh, all the way from a marching band supposedly tuning up downstairs, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in, in the living room, uh, to uh, George saying that he uh, re- bore a strong resemblance to Ronald LeFeo Jr. himself. And he started going to the same bar uh, and uh, drinking uh, a lot while uh, checking the boathouse one night. I don't know what you do, I don't know how you check a boathouse or why, but George saw a pair of red eyes. He said, supposedly looking at him from Missy's bedroom window back at the house. Uh, when he went upstairs to her room, there was nothing to be found. Later, it was suggested that it might have been Jody the pig. Uh, while in bed, uh, Kathy Lutz received red welts on her chest caused by an unseen force and was levitated two feet off her bed, supposedly. This goes on and on and on. They had all the way down to cloven hoof prints supposedly found in the snow. Maybe it was the pig again. Uh, green slime oozing from the walls in the hall and also from the keyhole of the playroom door in the attic. Uh, 12-inch crucifix uh, hung in a closet by Kathy, revolving until it was upside down, gave off a sour smell, and on and on and on and on. Now, George saw Kathy, of course, again, George Lutz and his wife Kathy here. Uh, George saw Kathy supposedly transformed to an old woman of 90, uh, the hair wild, shocking white face, da-da-da-da-da, right out of Hollywood here. Now, in 1976, Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, who were sort of the grandfather and grandmother of ghost hunting, got involved. Uh, before it was over, the great uh, Hans Holzer and several other investigators were involved. Hans Holzer, a very, very long-time uh, paranormal investigator, one of the first uh, generation greats. Now, at the time, I was working with Ed and Lorraine Warren and probably would have been involved myself were it not for the fact that I was in class at a seminary at the other end of New York State. Uh, the Warrens uh, subsequently verified most of the above uh, incidents that appeared in the novel later on and added to the story, while others uh, debunked it. Now, I heard about it in bits and pieces from Ed and Lorraine, but before I knew it, there it was in the media. Chaos ensued and reigned to this day, with certain people enjoying the ride all the way to the bank. Uh, the only inside info I had on the Amityville case, other than what the Warrens told me, uh, was from my mentor, uh, Father John J. Nicola, the 20th century's leading expert on exorcism. Uh, he, sold, he told me that the whole thing was a hoax. Now, not only was that good enough for me, it started me wondering about the Warrens, uh, and my relationship with them finally ended in 1978. 
Now, with all due respect to them, they were uh, we were very close personally, and I do not wish to badmouth anyone, particularly Ed, uh, particularly who passed away a few years ago. Uh, but again, uh, this is it is what it was what it was. Uh, I began to to kind of you know look at their methods very seriously after Father John, whom I trusted very much, um, began to question what they were doing, or oh, and what everybody else was doing in this case. All right. So, in my own experiences, which really isn't that extensive, but uh, I'll no, it's to, extensive enough. Well, I guess. But um, so it'd be it'd be pretty odd if nothing happened at Amityville with all the negative stuff that happened there. Well, that's right, Ben. Uh, there's no question that the murders occurred. The kind of horrific happening sent uh, this kind of thing sends out huge waves through space-time and across many worlds of the multiverse. Uh, that attracts those darling trans-world life forms that folklore calls demons and that you have had experience with, and we call them parasites. And that's how I think... And, oh, I mean, here's how I think it would work. That house on Ocean Avenue exists in countless worlds. And according to quantum physics, every possible variation of the events we know exists in one or another of those houses. In one world, the DeFeos never existed, and you, our dear listener, are living in the house. That's somewhere, somewhere in the multiverse, that's happening. In many others, uh, the murders did take place in one variation or another. Uh, in many, many other facets of the house, the house is wildly haunted, at least according to the physics of that world, whether the murders took place there or not. Well, we often run into cases where things are happening in a house, say, based on something that is happening in that house in another world that never even happened in our own history, or even our own future. Sometimes it is happening in our own future. So remember, it's, it's, it's one big multiverse. It's not a closed system. These worlds are not entirely separate from each other. It's one big reality. And what happens at some place far away in the multiverse can echo and happen in your own reality uh, if there's a certain amount of sharing of the same space. So Ben's right. The house should be ringing the dinner bell for parasites from across the multiverse, especially since it's adjacent to water, which helps, and is built on soil with a lot of clay, which also helps. By helps, I mean conducts electromagnetic energy, which can play havoc with world boundaries and help parasites, and who knows what else, gain access. Since, as far as we know, the subsequent residents of the house have said that there's, quote, nothing strange in the neighborhood, unquote, it's probable that all the attention and hullabaloo of the case, some, uh, that I should say in all the attention uh, of the, that's gone to this case in our own particular conscious world, somebody mixed the multiversal signals to the point that the echoes, waves, or dinner bell ringing, as we call it, was directed away from our consciousness, uh, our conscious reality to worlds where that wasn't the case. All right, so it's pretty. It's a pretty safe bet that in plenty of one twelve Ocean Avenues in the multiverse, there's plenty of haunting going on. And uh, I, I must emphasize that there have been, um, as far as I know, little or or no reports from subsequent residents that weird things are happening in this case. However. Uh, controversy continues. Reports continue of uh, people bothering the residents of the house, tourists and curiosity seekers, to the point where they—I don't know if you remember the, the movie posters—they took out those two red, uh, the, those two uh, windows of it was a Dutch colonial design. There were two windows that looked like eyes up in the attic, and uh, it made the house look very distinct. They took those out and they even changed the address 
of the place because people were driving each other nuts. So as I say, again, I don't think an awful lot happened here. People are laughing all the way to the bank. And when we come back, we'll talk about the famous Queen Mary, the great steamship and the hauntings that are supposedly taking place there. Stay with us behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, CBS News Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Be right back. Join Kimmy Rose on interviews Thursday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. Together as a community, we will embrace the challenges in life and find a way to experience heaven on earth. Spiritual teachers and Kimmy will bring you insight on how to change your life and embrace purpose. Interviews this Thursday night starting at 9. It's all about what's within you.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And we are back, and I some someone had written to us saying that we that they were trying to call in, and I know that they're interested in the Amityville case, but we're going to start on the Queen Mary case anyway. And if uh, this uh, uh, friend of ours, uh, who's also one of our show reporters, uh, calls back, we'll we'll take the call. Anyway, <clears throat> the Queen Mary. Uh, there's that beautiful old passenger ship. Uh, with quite a history, and um... so it was launched in 1936, and the Queen Mary was bigger than the Titanic. During World War II, she was used as a troop ship, and then went back to trans uh, transatlantic passenger service until 1967. She retired to appear in Long Beach, California, where she became a floating museum, hotel, and restaurant. Well, she had quite a history too, and there's a Rhode Island connection here. Uh, that's where we live, and I'm I'm sort of a Rhode Island historian. I've written a book or two on Rhode Island history. And uh, there was a, just as a, a quick aside here, there was a very little-known radio monitoring station on a hill in Rhode Island here. And they would they, there was just some, between the equipment they had at the site and the receptivity of the site, they were able to pick up amazing communications during World War II. One of them was from a, a wolf pack of German submarines that was was uh, off of South America, and they were going to attack the Queen Mary, which was carrying all sorts of wounded uh, Allied soldiers and a bunch of other uh, and all Allied soldiers who were not wounded who were on their way to uh, one of the campaigns of the war. And it were not for the fact that this... Uh, uh, okay, uh, yeah, we're going to say yes to this, uh, just uh, answering the producer here. But in any case, this particular event in World War II, uh, was it, they were able to tell... Uh, the uh, Allied forces that this was going on. Uh, the Queen Mary was able to change course and therefore was spared being sunk by this pack of uh, of U-boats. Now, we do have, as I understand it, uh, David Marsh, our reporter, one of our reporters from the Midwest, who uh, wanted to speak to us about... Uh, was it Amityville, David? Are you with us? Yeah, it is. Um, Am- Amityville's been a, uh, uh, a very big interest of mine since about 1981. Um, I attended two lectures by Ed and Lorraine Warren where they showed some of their photographs. And um, as I remember those photographs, there was really not a lot there. Um, I've always had a concern on the way that that investigation was handled, and it was very much after the fact, um, after the Lutzes had left. Um, and the first thing that they had heard was they had heard about demons and evil spirits. Um, I think that the investigation wasn't handled very well at all, and the fact that um, Ed and Lorraine Warren have always come across to me, and, and they're very credible. Um, they're very credible in their field, but they seem to, in every case they've been involved with, automatically default to the demonic. And I've always had a problem with that. This is a case where a family was brutally murdered, and that there were spirits and a haunting there in that house. And as the seance was conducted um, after the Lutzes left, I, I believe, and you would know more than I was, but I believe it was the Mass- Massachusetts Institute of Psychic um, that was called that Ed and Lorraine Warren were a part of. They spent a night in the house. They did seances. They did a lot of things, and they came back saying, this is evil, this is demonic. And 
I've always felt that the bottom line is that that was a home where a father who was brutally murdered realized that, you know, he had family members brutally murdered and had difficult time crossing over and moving on. And I, I definitely appreciate your theory on the multiverse, and I agree with that, but I've always felt like the investigation itself opened those doors for any negative and evil spirits. And the point I want to make is any paranormal investigators that may be listening to this show, as you're called into a home to investigate something, you're dealing with a lot of different possibilities there and always be skeptical and always default to the love of the situation. Be compassionate to the victims, to the spirits, and to the homeowners. I've always felt that the Amityville House should be used as a textbook case of everything you should never do when you are invited by a homeowner to investigate a haunting. So I appreciate you yeah. letting me speak yeah. that out. Oh, of course, David. No, we certainly uh, couldn't agree more uh, when it comes to the compassion uh, end of it uh, in, in, in every case. And even if there's nothing going, I mean, compassion is always good in any any situation. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> as as I often say, you know, we, we've uh, been with one or two groups and they just, you know, and they, they're so excited about the phenomena, they pay no attention to the people. And it's all about the people. It's all about compassion, because that's where it's at. As far as the Amityville case is concerned, I don't, I've never been there. I don't claim to know much about it. I just got this information from people who were involved in it. As I say, I, I was working with the Warrens at the time, but not on this. Uh, as I say, I, I'm, I, I really am the sort of person who does not like to talk to, about people behind their back when they can't respond. But it, it was at about this time that I began to have my doubts, about at least about their methods. Uh, Lorraine, as I remember her, is was the sweetest person on earth. You you couldn't have asked for more compassion in that kind of case. Uh, Ed was more hard headed. Um, I loved him like a father, but I just you know there there were just ways they did things that that I just did not think were uh, orderly. Uh, were not done in a regular manner sometimes. There was a lot of kowtowing to the press, which I didn't like, which is ironic because I've been a member of the press for the last 30 years. And, uh, you know, I see, I see how you, you get your impressions, and I agree with many of them, David. So. Well, I appreciate that, Paul. And I know you want to move on with the show, and you've got a lot of great, uh, great other uh, stories that you're going to talk about today, so I really don't want to infringe on those. Oh, but not at all. Glad you called in. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Very good. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Okay. Well, be that as it may, let's move on to the Queen Mary and uh, see what we can see what we can do with with that situation. Uh, yeah, Ben, you explained. Uh, yeah, now a hotel and a restaurant. Anyway, the Queen Mary became a, a big attraction for ghost enthusiasts and curiosity seekers, especially uh, because they believed it was the home to as many as 150 uh, quote unquote spirits. Now, in the ship's history, there have been as many as 50 deaths on board. Uh, but, as I learned in my Coast Guard days, uh, this isn't unusual for any ship. There are a lot of common shipboard accidents. Things can happen. Uh, when you're, I've had the experience, and, and a lot of people who've been at sea in the military or any other capacity can tell you it's a weird experience to, uh, when the ship is rolling and pitching in, in heavy seas, uh, to jump out of your bunk and end up right back in it again. It's really weird. You know, that sort of thing can happen. <coughs> Excuse me. So common shipboard accidents, along with the fact that many passengers <coughs> sorry, on cruise ships and luxury liners are elderly, uh, these deaths are very common. Very often, uh, anybody who works on a ship will tell you that during any, any routine cruise, an uh, elderly person will, will uh, succumb to an illness or will, will uh, 
uh, die of a heart attack or something like that, and they they hush it up. The rest of the uh, of the uh, of the ship's company is not generally told about that. And now I have to stress here that neither Ben nor I has ever been to the Queen Mary. I don't have any inside info like I did on Amityville. Uh, the closest we've come is to interview on the show people who have investigated the ship, like psychic and producer Jack Rourke, uh, whom some of you may know and whom we hope to have back soon as a guest. Uh, ghosts of the ocean, uh, I should say, of the Queen Mary include uh, the ghost supposedly of John Petter or John Henry, depending on, nobody, you know, nobody seems to be sure of his name, a young seaman killed in the engine, in engine space number 13. Uh, he's blamed for bangs and bumps on the watertight door there. Uh, that strikes me as odd because the number 13 is usually avoided on ships out of tradition, although not always. In <clears throat> 1942, uh, the Queen Mary collided with the British destroyer Kurokawa. I don't know why it's spelled that way. And there are supposed to be all sorts of ghosts uh, from that in the Queen's uh, forward storage spaces. These ghosts allegedly include members of the Kurokawa's crew, and some German prisoners of war um, of the collision with the Curacoa, also the prisoners held there, and uh, the dead crewmen from the Curacoa all supposedly haunt the forward storage room. All right, so a crazy, per a crazy person nobody knows the name of supposedly haunts room B340, and the ghost of Jackie and about 20 of her friends haunt the first-class swimming pool. There are also white ladies, floating ladies, Guy, uh, floating ladies, guys in 1930s clothes, and so on and so on. There are creepy little girls and even a few pets. Now, the Queen Mary has been and is constantly being probed by countless paranormal investigators, from famous experts to complete nitwits. Stories range from the boring to the absolutely ridiculous. Uh, they get all kinds of electronic voice phenomena, or EVPs, weird photographs, uh, which might or might not be what they appear to be, and almost everyone buys the standard 19th century spiritualist explanation for these hauntings, uh, carving them up into several categories or any combination of these, depending on the so-called expert. Uh, <coughs> again, sorry. Getting, I'm having a little bit of an allergy attack here, folks. I apologize. Anyway, uh, you have uh, the um, intelligent hauntings uh, where ghosts uh, supposedly interact with people and still have brains, even though they supposedly don't have bodies. Uh, residual hauntings are supposed to be ghosts who are unaware of their surroundings because they're just recordings somehow made on the environment. Uh, angry ghosts are the remnants of people who did bad things in life and still are nasty even though they're allegedly dead. Uh, recurring ghosts are supposed to be stuck in a moment of time or living their deaths over and over again. These are all kinds Wait, of things. Wouldn't that be like the same thing as a residual haunting? Yeah, I, I kind of thought that, but there, there's some literature about the Queen Mary where they do make a distinction. I don't, don't so basically, me. the ways that the Queen Mary is investigated by other people is the way they've investigated pretty much every other thing they've investigated. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. All right, so there's really not much variety. Well, we'll get to some reasons here for things. All right, so uh, before we look at the Queen Mary from the multiverse point of view, we have to consider two things about the ghost stories. One, they attract tourists, and two, they tend to be embellished over the years. Yeah, that's something. Now, I'm not saying that uh, anybody's making things up here. I'm sure people are very uh, sincere about what they, they believe they see and what they find. And we, we, Ben and I have had paranormal experiences coming out of our ears, and we know that they're real. Uh, <clears throat> the question is, how do you interpret them? 
But the fact is they do tend to attract tourists, and that's why haunted tourist sites are very lucrative at times. And uh, stories do tend to get embellished over the years. That being said, uh, the standard explanations for these hauntings, uh, residual, intelligent, and all that, could very well be accurate. I don't know, maybe we're the ones who are wrong. When mediums and psychics get into cases, entities often give them the clear impression that one or more of those standard explanations are correct, whether it be the Queen Mary or some other thing. But that's not our experience, and it's never been in my experience over the last 40 years. When you look at cases with the depth and length of time we spend on them, a very different picture of hauntings like these tends to emerge. Now, here's our version. All right, so the first thing we notice is that the Queen Mary is a ship made of iron. Iron and water both conduct electricity and therefore attract and hold electromagnetic fields that can do weird things called subtle energy effects. Ships actually get magnetized as they move through the water and the Earth's magnetic field. Although this can play tricks with space-time, making parallel worlds interact and even blend more than they usually would. Yeah, and I think that is an important factor here. Now, the thing is, as far as I know, it's not up on the land. I mean, it's still sitting in the water at Long Beach and uh, <clears throat> does not sail anymore, however, is still uh, in the water. We find that water has a tremendous... It can be an important factor in these cases, as we were just saying. Amityville. Water uh, bubbles, was, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Right, waterfront property there. Uh, so think twice before you buy waterfront property. Well, that, you... that explains why it's so expensive. Yeah, why? Because of ghosts? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, maybe. Ghosts get, to, get a cut. So anyway, as a result of all this, uh, it's weird to find an iron ship that isn't haunted. So from the multiverse perspective, there are plenty of ghosts aboard the Queen Mary, but they... Um, there are no spirits of the dead, in our opinion. Anyway, we'll come back to that in a moment. We have to wrap up for a commercial break here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. You're listening to CBS Radio, New Sky, No Limits, I guess they say. No, guys, anyway, stay with us. We'll be right back. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New skyradio.com. Believe. I guess nothing compares to us. So. No, I guess not. Well, anyway, ba- welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno this evening. We're very grateful the show is on Halloween. Happy Halloween and a safe one to all of you. It's saving Ben and I from having to answer the door here. Oh, yeah. Tonight, the trick-or-treaters. I don't do well with people. Especially well, people that ask the, me for food. I'm sure all our listeners love you to death. And we're talking <laughs> about some famous cases tonight and interpreting them according to our own paranormal multiverse ideas. Okay. We're talking uh, most more specifically at the moment about the Queen Mary, the great ship uh, with a tremendous history, a luxury liner, troop ship during World War II, all sorts of adventures and strange things, uh, a lot of deaths aboard, and uh, now a tourist attraction and a hotel and restaurant in Long Beach, California. Now, we were mentioning, and Ben particularly brought up subtle energies <clears throat> as encouraged by the fact that iron ships tend to get magnetized as they move through the water, and uh, that could explain many of the paranormal things that occur. And the Philadelphia experiment, <laughs> but that's a different subject altogether. Yeah, we're going to do a show on that. Yeah. Anyway, there are plenty of ghosts aboard the Queen Mary, but as uh, according to our point of view, there are no spirits of the dead in the spiritualist sense. And any number of parallel worlds that uh, subtle energies keep drawing into our world, John Petter, or whoever he is, is still alive and working merrily away in engine space number 13, if there really was an engine space number 13. And if this really is John, why would people experience him and not other people? Because his violent death sends out a stronger emotional uh, wave across the universe, the multiverse, in the same way that it's easier for your radio to pick up a 50,000-watt station as opposed to a 1,000-watt station. Yes, yeah, so the Queen Mary ghosts who interact with people don't have any more brains than anyone else. Wait, is that an insult? Anyway, so <laughs> they, they simply are going about their lives in worlds where people are more aware of parallel worlds than we are or where they think that we are ghosts. We run into that all the time, them thinking we're ghosts. Or people are just going about their lives in, in, in other worlds. I just would try to get away from the notion that the spirit separates from the body because the spirit of the soul or whatever you want to call it this and this this concept drives me crazy because uh, my degree is in philosophy and I think like a philosopher there is a philosophy and we mentioned it the other night uh, last week on the show uh, as it's known as phenomenalism and nobody really believes it but it says that it would translate it into ghost hunt, ghost uh, research terms the body and the matter mean absolutely nothing whatsoever and everything is contained, your memories, your imagination, everything, your whole personality is contained in what becomes a ghost. I think that's absolute nonsense. How can you be you without your body? It's part of you. Just like, you know, well, my old, one of my old theology professors used to say, a, a body without a soul is a corpse, a soul without a body is a ghost. They're not complete. Uh, no philosopher, no theologian ever really accepted that as being a legitimate thing. But, but people who are, follow this spiritualist uh, uh, idea, it, it's just normal for them to accept the idea that a ghost can be a whole person. It's ludicrous, in my opinion. So anyway, I think we're dealing here uh, with uh, people who, ha- if we're seeing ghosts at all, we're dealing with people who are just going about their lives. And the, the nature of their lives and the nature of their deaths and the nature of the ship allow this to be seen. Anyway, um, we don't believe that people we think we are 
uh, seeing are, are relieving their deaths either. That's another common uh, conclusion in, in the list of, of the nature of ghosts that, that we gave earlier in the show. Uh, they're actually that they're actually reliving their deaths over and over again. It's a common belief. We simply might see, hear, or otherwise experience their deaths ourselves over and over again because that's where the world membranes touch. That's where the worlds come together because of the power of the signal, as it were. This tremendous emotional event, such as a violent death, blasting out across the multiverse. We happen to be there. Our brain is the radio, or we're the radio, and we pick it up. They're not reliving it again and again and again. We are in that place in particular time. Just a little side note. If you touch your phone to your head and you're sending a text or something and it won't send, if you put your phone to your head, it turns your body into an antenna. And it That's right. Yeah, and yeah. It's so, so there you go. Case in point. Anyway. Yeah, hence concerns about brain cancer. Yes. So one of our favorite cases is the so-called Bell Witch case of Tennessee, which takes us from the realm of human ghosts to what most people consider demons. Yeah, this is the other aspect of uh, paranormal investigation that some people either concentrate entirely on or miss entirely. Well, we've run into investigators who claim that all entities, we were talking to one David Pitkin uh, on one of our shows last week, and he was saying well, all ghosts are human. All right. Maybe the occasional animal here and there. But he says even the negative ghosts... Well, even, even then, if they're spiritualists, and if they're Catholic, then or well, or any kind of Christian, that it's not, no, wait, did, do they believe animals have souls? I don't remember. There's something... Who? There's some, Christians? Well, it depends. Well, well, there's some... Strictly speaking, no. Yeah, then how come they're ghosts of animals? Well, yeah, th th that's a question you might ask them. I mean, certainly they're ghosts of animals for the same reason they're ghosts I of people. I don't remember if it was just, like, just one specific denomination or, like, the entire thing. Well, th there's no real doctrine. I mean, strictly speaking, uh, there's no real uh, doctrine on that uh, as far as animal souls are concerned. Um, oh, actually, we have, uh, before we move on to our, our Bell Witch case, let's continue to talk about the Queen Mary. And we, uh, we're very pleased to have Jack Rourke on the line. Jack, how are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Good, good. I'm nice here. to uh, hear from you. Great. Now, Jack yeah, Rourke, well, uh, for people who don't know him, is uh, a well-known producer and uh, paranormal investigator and a psychic, uh, who we were uh, very impressed uh, with his, some of his approaches and his compassion that he uses in cases, and he's an expert on the Queen Mary. Uh, so what do you think, Jack? Are we are we all wet, or what's your opinion on, on, on the Queen Mary situation as far as hauntings are concerned? Or something completely well, different. Well, you know, Paul, I, I didn't actually get to hear everything you were saying about the Queen Mary. I, I was just, um, I think this is the, Brian, is that, is that right, your son's name? Uh, ben. ben. Ben, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, the last time I was on the show, uh, uh, Ben actually wasn't available, so I didn't, I didn't get to meet him last time. So it's very nice to meet you. Um, I only was just now hearing you speak about some spirits of animals, and I caught the tail end of your, of the Bell Witch comment you were saying about demons and things. So, I didn't actually get to hear what you were saying about the Queen Mary, but um, I'm certainly interested in speaking about anything that you're, you guys are, are on topic about. Oh, okay. Yeah, we were, well, just to go back a bit, we commented that, uh, you know, when I was in the Coast Guard, I learned uh, many things about ships, of course, and one of them was that as they move through the water, an iron ship will become magnetized because of its interaction between the water and the Earth's magnetic field. And we were sort of drawing some parallels to this and the multiverse idea of why ghostly manifestations often occur on ships. And I went through some of the, the, the notable ones on the Queen Mary. And in our opinion, again, emphasizing that we have never been there, haven't investigated it ourselves, means you have, 
that uh, what we're probably dealing with here is more people going about their lives in, in, in parallel worlds than we are with any any uh, spirits and, and you know i'm philosophically I, I got a real problem with spirits containing people's whole personalities I, I don't think that's possible so i know what say you well i think i think you're you're coming to an interesting conclusion because certainly one of the things you know one of the things i think that intelligent researchers understand is that there's a multitude of possibilities and uh when it comes to ghost phenomena and we can't just nail it down to you know that we're you know, our bodies are inhabited by some kind of ethereal consciousness, and when it expires, you know, it, it, this, this consciousness, this ethereal being, then gets trapped somewhere. I mean, I think that's, a, that, that's an interesting idea, but I think that, that, may have, that may very well be best left in, say, the 15th century or something, because I think there's, this, it, there's a lot of other interesting things to consider here and certainly that may be one of them but i think what you're talking about as far as maybe alternate dimensions things could be kind of interesting and, and and you're absolutely right about you know the ships becoming magnetized and things but particularly what what i find uh fascinating about the queen mary is that you know what it is i like i often refer to it as kind of a um a uh, a paranormal um gosh what do they used to call it like a gerarium or something do you remember when you were a kid and in biology class, and you would take some I was never stones and put it in the bottom of an aquarium, and then some soil and some some water. Then you'd plant some things. And then you'd watch life evolve. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of look at it like that. You have this this massive, you know, steel and iron structure sitting in water, and particularly with the Queen Mary, since it was built in, originally in 1936, you have miles and miles and miles of antiquated wiring running through this this uh, this ship, bleeding off you know, electromagnetic fields. And so possibly, you know, one of the things we, we need to look at is not necessarily that the ship itself becomes uh, a device through which we can perceive uh, alternate universes, per se, or, or dimensions in time, but we have to look at what that environment does to the human, the human uh, instrument, what it does to our bodies, what it does to our brains, what it does, how it is that it affects our perception. You know, and so that's actually a, a kind of a fascinating thing to consider. You know, and so one of the things we have to look at as well is that, you know, we know that there's a lot of wonderful theories out there with David Bohm and Carl Prebrum and things that put forth in the 50s and 60s and all the way into the current day about um, infrared holographic universe theory and holonomic brain theory. And that basically what they're saying is that information is stored environmentally. And so if we think about, you know, our, ourselves as bioelectric beings, that we are always putting off um, uh, emanations, our, our aura, if you, were, if you will, you know, our heart, our heartbeat, our, our brain waves, every, every impulse our body emits yeah. gets impressed into the environment. And Very true. Uh, Jack, Jack can, we, can we ask you to hold on because we, we have to take a break? But, but stay on the line. Would you want to continue this? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. We'll be right back. Spiritually Raw, the ass-whipping truth, where skeptics meet spirits and consciousness connect. Meet the four distinctly different individuals, building a multimedia enterprise revolving around the spirit world. No topic is taboo. Tune in as they expose and explore controversial beliefs behind the truths, myths, theories, and religious dogmas surrounding the metaphysical world. They're smart, witty, intuitive, with a raw sense of humor that won't allow listeners to feel sorry for themselves. Special guests, Ray 
range from psychic mediums to Catholic priests and everyone in between. Be prepared for a cataclysmic collision of energies. Callers and opinions are welcome if you dare. SpirituallyRaw.com is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Okay, and we are back Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno this evening. And in a bit of a Halloween show here, we're talking about various famous ghost cases and Try and have some fun interpreting them according to our own multiverse theories. And we're very happy to be joined uh, by our good friend Jack Rourke uh, from California, who is an expert on the Queen Mary case, certainly one that we've talked about this evening. Uh, Well-known producer and uh, psychic as well. Now, uh, 
I wanted to sort of mention, uh, we're not going to have time, I don't think, to talk about the Bell Witch case, but uh, Jack, earlier in the show, we talked about Amityville, and I was almost involved in that because I was working with Ed Lorraine Warren at the time, but I was in the seminary at the other end of the state and couldn't get away. So right. uh, do you have any opinions on, on that particular case? I mean, it's, it's very controversial. Our, our, our idea was that it was mostly a hoax because that's what my mentor, Father John Nicola, told me it was. And right. uh, do you have any insights on that, any particular opinions? Well, I, I do have some insight, but, you know, I guess we should say, you know, for, for your listeners who may not know me, I mean, I'm, I was very young when that case came out. And so what, the information that I'm getting is some of it is for, through people I've directly talked to who were involved in the case, and others are, you know, people who inform people without opinions, and I kind of have my own opinions. But just to be fair, you know, I want to say that, you know, my, it's my opinion, and, you know, it's second, third generation in some information in some cases. But, you know, just uh, the diplomacy out of the way, uh, you know, here's what I know. Um, like, like you said, there, there is an element of hoaxing to this case, and there's, some, there's been allegations of some unscrupulous kind of motives uh, financial motives, book, you know, for book deals and things like that, and obviously, a, a, you know, terrible amount of money was made off this case. And we should say that, you know, following the, the folks who originally, you know, uh, the original complaint complainants of the Amityville, you know, that house was sold, and there's people living there for years and had no problems. And uh, you know, and you know, the the people who investigated and 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 the authors went on to. You know, were involved in other very high-profile cases, and they were invited into these other cases, i.e., the, haunt, the, the haunting in Connecticut House. I did some work with that film, um, and you can see me and Dr. Taff in the special feature sections of that DVD. Well, oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the haunting in Connecticut. But you know, the but having said that, the, the producer of that film had done some worked very closely with the Warrens, and he was uh, he believed very, very much so that they were very credible people. And that they were, you know, they, whatever they experienced, it was real for them, you know. Now, I, I've never actually had the pleasure of meeting the Warrens. Obviously, um, you know, Ed is no longer with us, but, you know, it's my understanding that, you know, they're very, very religious people. And when yeah. you interpret, you know, paranormal phenomena through religion, you know, it, it changes possibly the nature, it distorts possibly the nature of, uh, of what's going on. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's various ways to explain things, and, and everything that goes bump in the night is, is not always as colorful as a demon or, or ghost or something. Mm. So it's a very it's a murky case that I think over that really won't stand the test of time. And, and Paul, you know, it's thanks to people like you and Ben keeping the information out there, objective, so people will remember that there was a lot of you know a lot of things about these famous cases that that may or may not have had you know you know credibility. Sure. Um, you know, I'm walking a tightrope here, you know, because I don't want to. Well, we all anyone, do, but, yeah, especially yeah. with that case. Well, Jack, we're kind of coming, getting short on time here, but thanks so much for calling in. We'll be in touch off the air, and we're going to have you on as a guest real soon. That'd be fantastic. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Great. Ben, we're going to have a little fun here at the end, so take right, it away. So many, many of us grow up looking forward to the great TV specials featuring Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Linus, Lucy, and the rest of the Peanuts gang in... You're not elected, Charlie Brown. Linus runs for student body president, and he almost clinches it, but he shoots his foot off in the last speech by bringing up the Great Pumpkin. The Great Pumpkin. Now, at the risk of making the same mistake as Linus, no Halloween show from North America would be complete without mentioning the Great Pumpkin. 
And believe it or not, multiverse theory and our concept of an indiscriminate explosion of divine love and an infinite variety of life forms across an infinite variety of multiverse of universes actually allows us to talk seriously about a being like the Great Pumpkin. As you're cracking up laughing about saying this is serious. In multiverse <laughs> terms, Charles Schultz, creator of the Peanuts comic strips, could never have conceived of a being like the Great Pumpkin unless he actually experienced it in some parallel life he was living in his subconscious. These worlds are real, and the lives we're living in them are real. Therefore, somewhere and somewhere in some parallel universe, in some form or manifestation, a life form corresponding to the Great Pumpkin actually does exist. Yes, even, quote, bringing toys to all the good little children on Halloween, as Linus would say. If he, she, or it somehow got pushed or ah. pulled, was that the Great Pumpkin? What the? Hey, take it easy. You're supposed to be a pair. It's uh, Ben's girlfriend uh, came around. Anyway, it's not the Great Pumpkin. Eh, too bad. Uh, Linus would be disappointed. Anyway, if he, she, or it somehow got pushed or pulled across the membrane uh, into our conscious world, he'd be considered uh, one heck of a cryptid. You don't have to groan. He'd be a cryptid, like Bigfoot or Mothman. I don't want to talk about it. All right, Pumpkin Man. Anyway, could be. All right. And, uh, um, so don't miss our New England Drive Time show in the Boston Providence Worcester Triangle on WON, twelve forty a.m. and onworldwide.com tomorrow at six p.m. Eastern. Okay, you're going to make it. You're not going to have a heart attack here. <laughs> All right. Oh, anyway, look how funny you are. Check out our website behindtheparanormal.com. I'm in a rousing time here on Halloween. You can uh, buy my books. You can subscribe to our newsletter. You can apply to become a reporter through that site. So you can get all our podcasts of all our shows, and they're available at NewSkyRadio.com or at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. So many thanks to our producer, who's a real riot tonight, uh, Will Kosnick. <laughs> and we'll see you right here next Sunday, November 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, when Ben and I will take the hour once again for an open-line show to answer some of the hundreds of questions generated by our Coast to Coast AM appearance on October 13th. All right, we will leave you with a wish for a happy and safe Halloween. Thanks for sailing with us on the great cosmic journey. And um, the, the great pumpkin is still standing there. Anyway, we wish you again a very, very safe um, Halloween. And um, keep a... Well, keep keep watching the skies and, and keep staying with us on our cosmic journey. Because okay, we're with you and you're with us. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>